from the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs. This is the Locked On Chiefs podcast. The Kansas City Chiefs have one serious advantage that never sees the field. Welcome back to Locked On Chiefs. We have a great show for you today. Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest, their editor-in-chief, is coming back with us to give us the inside take on where the Chiefs are in preparation and what's going on with the negotiations to get this league off of the mat and started down the road to playing in 2020. I'm Ryan Tracy from Rogue Analytics and RGR Football, and I've been covering this team so long that it's been really eye-opening what we saw from the athletic today. That's what I want to start before we get with Matt and we talk about both the league as well as uh, the team's preparation in this whole ramp up through the negotiations to get the season going. And that is really key because this advantage is all over the place. It isn't a single player. It is a single person in Clark Hunt, the owner. And The Athletic has been going through the state of the NFL kind of week. One really interesting article was a poll across a number of applicants that came back with the concept of the question, Jerry Jones is the figurehead. He's out front on everything in terms of the ownership group and the decisions they make, the processes they go through. But who's the next guy down the ladder? And there were a lot of nominees, uh, a lot of high-end, high-profile owners, which is not something you can say of Clark Hunt. He's not Arthur Blank. He's certainly not Jonathan Kraft. It is so far and away for him to really seek the spotlight, especially on a national level, that you don't generally put him in those groups. But he overwhelmingly came back as the guy that this group of of media, of contributors, all feel is the next highest profile, highest power owner within the NFL structure. And there are a lot to that. Clearly, he's the man spending the most money right now after we've seen the last few weeks. But beyond that, he's on the younger side of the ownership group. And being 55 years old, uh, they go up into the 70s. I think Arthur Blank is 77. And he's right in that middle group. Obviously, he is a legacy coming from his father. But he also is now in a position to be leading the league issues, the international committee, the finance committee the things that really go into changing the way that the NFL works, functions, and recovers from things like the COVID virus, Clark Hunt is front and center leading the pack and giving input and direction to what is a group of owners that is sometimes overshadowed by one man in Jerry Jones. I think it's a calming influence that Clark Hunt likely brings and is able to kind of steer the direction that the league needs to go, not necessarily the Cowboys need to go. And I think sometimes that does get confused in some of these ownership meetings. I think it's great for the Chiefs to understand that they have the quarterback of the league for the foreseeable future, and fans should feel great about that. But it's less out front. It's much more under the radar that they should be feel equally as well about the leadership they have from the owner of this team and where it's going. I think there will be changes in the future about some of the things that have been tradition around this league and around this team, but knowing that Clark Hunt is in a position to steer some of that, I think should make us all feel like the Chiefs are going to be in a very good position for years and decades to come. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest about where that direction is going right now. 
And we are lucky to be joined once again by Matt Derrick from Chiefs Digest, the man with the plan. How are you, Matt? Doing pretty well, Ryan. How about yourself? Oh, I have a plan. I just don't know if it's going according <laughs> to it. How's yours? I think that's how everything's going right now, uh, especially in the NFL. Everybody's got a plan, but nobody knows how it's going. Right. That's that's my overall impression, too. I'm glad you said it that way, because it's been such a roller coaster of changes the last few days. Um, we'll get into specifics, I'm sure. But let's start overall right now where they're at. The NFL NFLPA have been negotiating. How do you feel like the balance has been going? It looks like it's going in the right direction, but we have seen that with a lot of sports and, you know, and honestly, it's easy to look back at this and see that there's a lot of things that probably could have been dealt with earlier. The NFL had five months to figure all of this out and they haven't, but you know, once again, it's a negotiation. It's all about leverage and it's about trying to get the most. This is, it's, this is not a freebie. This is not a charity that either the players or the owners are running. They're trying to get the absolute most for each side. And for the owners, they're trying to find a way to save money. They're trying to find a way to get a little bit back from the union. Um, the union is doing the same thing. I mean, they're trying to protect what they have. And they're also trying to get the, the you know, what they feel is the best safety protocols for the players. And I, I think that as a result, it's probably unrealistic to expect that anything was going to get done ahead of time. So the fact that we're not even to the point yet where technically, you know, full camps would be opening. I mean, yeah, the Chiefs would have the rookies in and they do. So yeah, you, you'd like to see things done earlier, but I, I still would not surprise me if we're going up to right to July 28th and you know, they're, they're still working on details and trying to get this thing hammered out. Now, July 28th is a week from yesterday. So we got a little bit of time. If we stay focused on the national level, I think the give and take has been pretty decent overall. It feels like both sides have compromised a little bit. Um, not a three week transition period. That's the 14 day week. So the, the players gave up a little bit there, but they're getting the full testing to begin with. And, um, my question to you, when you look at it across the league, does any of that protocol give anybody an advantage that you can see? I mean, I, once again, I mean, I still think it goes back to the, the teams that have the least amount of turnover and don't have a lot of changes are going to have an advantage. Teams that are probably a little bit more veteran are going to have an advantage. Um, it's the young teams with new coaching staffs, um, teams with a lot of turnover from last year that are going to have a tough time. And so, I mean, that's why, you know, you continue to see a lot of people believing that this offseason greatly favors the Chiefs because they have, you know, so much consistency. They're not implementing a new offense. They're not trying to bring in a lot of new faces. Um, you know, I, I'm starting to believe that it's probably going to be a little bit easier Maybe this is counterintuitive, but I think it's going to be easier for offensive rookies and newcomers to fit in maybe a little bit more than defensively um, because they're not going to have a lot of time. I mean, unless unless week one gets pushed back or changed in any way. Yeah, I mean, it's still, if you're not putting on the pads until August 15th or so and and, and you know, and there's even talk now that, you know, maybe on August 15th, it's just shells and they're really mm-hmm. not even getting in the pads until maybe late August. I mean, that's to me, that's really tough um, for one, everybody to knock off the rust and be ready and sharp from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And two, for you know anyone to pick up anything with a new team that quickly, that's going to be hard. Yeah, those are certainly the drawbacks. I'm trying to focus on the positives and I, there's not a whole lot, but <laughs> one that I think <laughs> if it is delayed that far, I, you're going to see sloppy play the first few weeks. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. But in terms of the longevity of the season. I feel like 
Okay, so that's going to be fresh legs for a lot of guys who we have seen over the years struggle through camp, struggle through getting the first couple of weeks of the season dinged up, that kind of thing. Uh, do you think that evens out, or do you think the risk of injury goes up? Where are you at with where it might show up? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, strict evidence here, but I, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting point, and I think it was uh, even J.C. Treader that brought it up. He's the head of the Players Union, you know, that said this is different from 2011 when there was the holdout. Because, you know, then, you know, guys were able to go to the gym. They were able to, you know, get their full workouts in. They were able to, you know, keep in shape. So it wasn't like they were just going into training camp without having done any, you know, workouts. Um, this is different. I mean, everybody's been on their own. They haven't been able to go to a gym. They've had to depend on their own. Um, the Chiefs, even going back to, you know, April when everything was really was going down and, and they were going in the virtual direction, was finding a way to ship equipment to players, right. um, getting them workouts, you know, work on videos, you know, to, to show them. I mean, it, you know, because working out, you you know this better than anybody. It's not you just don't go out and work out by yourself. These guys have strength and training staff for a reason. Yeah. To make sure that they are doing the right exercises. They're doing everything properly. They're not developing the wrong muscles. They're not hurting themselves. They're not overdoing things underworking other things um that's that requires a lot of hands-on work and it requires some help and players haven't had that so yeah i mean i think you're absolutely right i mean there's going to be a lot of rest early on um comes to attrition yeah i mean i think it's probably going to maybe bounce out a little bit you're not going to have all of the preseason injuries i mean you know four weeks of you know see preseason games are gone Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you can look at, you know, hey, the Chiefs have had a lot of injuries in training camp over the years. And you look at some of the guys they've lost. Yeah, that won't happen. But you're right. I mean, you've got to think that there's probably going to be a few more injuries early um, just because guys aren't going to be in the proper shape. God, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, the strength and conditioning staff is there not just to design a program for somebody, right. but to guide them, to correct them. Even 10 year veterans in this league still need form correction when they're training. It is a lot, and I, I takes me back to that image we saw from uh, Larry Duvernay Tarif, where he's working out with a, a straight bar in a parking lot just yeah. to get his workouts in. Um, a lot goes into that, and I agree with you. Like, there's pluses and minuses. I think really for me, and I'm glad you brought it up. The biggest thing for me is no preseason games. That allows you to maintain your distance, but it also allows you to stay a lot healthier, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why I say that, you know, it's going to be even harder for, you know, teams with a lot of veterans coming in, anything with, you know, new offenses, anything like that, because, you know, preseason games is where you work out that timing. You know, I mean, game speed and practice speed are two different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you've been at the training camp and watched the Chiefs and, and you see how fast those guys go, that is still not game speed. And so that's what the preseason games are. Even if, even if the starters didn't, don't get a whole lot of snaps. Those are critical to getting that. And it's also critical for the rookies because, and that's, and this gets into the why I think it's going to be an advantage for the more of the offensive guys than the young rookies because preseason games are the first time that these guys really get to, you know, be under fire in the NFL. And the one thing you hear from the defensive players consistently is that it just takes them time. It's not the speed that always gets them, it's, you know, training their eyes to what mm-hmm. is going on in the NFL game. It's completely different than in college. And if you don't have those four preseason games to get those snaps, you're going to be going into week one in an entirely new situation that you've never been before and learn it on the go. And, you know, for offensive guys, they need to know the playbook. 
if they know the playbook, mm-hmm. you can you can get through. I mean, you're going to be doing the right things. But on defense, when you've got to read and react, and you've got to be able to have the eyes to see the play pre-snap, see what develops, those reactions, those instincts only develop with snaps. Yeah, And those preseason snaps are critical for defense. Well, and a lot of it, too, is just knowing where your partner is going to be, knowing where yeah. everybody else. And that comes, obviously, you can draw a lot from this team from last season, but there's going to be new starters. There's going to be quite a bit of guys that play. So I, I'm with you there. I'm interested to see how it works out. And again, a trade-off, I think, making the best of the situation. Um, next, we're going to talk about what the Chiefs are doing very specifically. Now, I know that you were on uh, the conference calls with with Coach and, and Brett Veach, and I I can't remember if it, you asked the question or if it was someone else, but how taken aback were you about just how much they're playing to use Arrowhead itself? Yeah, that's, that's a surprise because even uh, end of last week, uh, talking to people in the Chiefs organization, they were some of them still under the impression that they were going to be working on the practice facilities. So, yeah, the word that they were going to be doing everything at Arrowhead um, bit of a surprise. It makes sense in the sense that, you know, for at least this period of time, um, you're going to be able to put the players over at Arrowhead. You're not going to have to have them in the facility, which is critical because that's also the HQ. I mean, that's the headquarters for the Chiefs and their main offices. Um, so being able to, you know, keep the players out of there affects a little bit about, you know, the in, in NFL restriction on having, you know, so many employees in a building. Um, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, with the tiers too, as far as keeping players separate from people who are not in the same tier as they are, the way the NFL structured everything, um, it makes that a little bit easier. And we'll see how they use it. I mean, there's a lot of space in Arrowhead Stadium, as you know. I mean, and meeting room space. Um, some teams, you know, we've seen in Major League Baseball have used suites as locker rooms. Um, there's ways for them to spread the players out, give them their social distancing. The drawback is that they won't have two practice fields, which is what they have mm-hmm. over at the facility. So you could spread people out a little bit more. Uh, and we'll see how far, far it goes. Um, you know, that seems to me, if they're doing that in a regular season, that's a lot of punishment on the Arrowhead turf. Yeah. I don't know if you want to put on there. Um, so maybe at some point they will move back over to their, their training facility. Um, but for now, I mean, to a degree, it, it makes sense. I think that's one of the advantages that this team has over a lot of others in the league in that just the proximity of their headquarters and their practice facilities to their stadium, being able to expand all that space. That goes a long way in getting that social distancing. It was very high on the list of the things that the NFLPA put out in their policies and procedures flyer. I went over that. But for me, ground zero, I think for me, is going to be the offensive line group. Because that's the most bodies you need to have in a single room. So it makes sense to me that they might even split those interior and tackles. I don't know. Try to keep them as separate as possible. Do you think that they're going down to that granularity or they're going to just rely on their protocols to keep them healthy? Yeah, that that, that is intriguing because it, it does make you wonder if, you know, they may break up those groups even smaller because you're right. I mean, the offensive line group is, you know, 15 to 18 typically for the for the preseason roster. Might change a little bit now that it looks like there's going to be 80 man rosters. So, you know, whether or not you end up carrying a three deep offensive line, maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, and that's maybe a group that you think about, you know, breaking up even further. Maybe you break it up into an interior and exterior. You know, you got tackles and inside guys. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you do break them up in even smaller groups. I would expect that on the defensive side as well, you know, maybe even having tackles and defensive ends separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, linebackers inside, outside. I mean, anything that they can do to make those 
position groups a little smaller, so you've got fewer people. We'll we'll see. I mean, I that's I think I think that's some of the things that we'll find out a little bit more once you know, I think we see some of the the plans that the teams have put together. You know, they're submitting them to the NFL for approval right now. Um, if we get to see those plans, maybe we'll find out a little bit more about how they're doing it. But I also think that's going to be trial and error a little bit about finding out what works best and you know how they can break these groups up more to have the smallest groups possible. Yeah, the thing that I think is going to be really difficult is you know the strength and conditioning mm-hmm. because I, I don't know you know some some people I'm sure out there have taken a tour of the the facility. And, you know, you see the pictures of college workout rooms. The <laughs> NFL's not like that. No. I mean, these NFL workout rooms are a lot smaller and they maximize space. So you're going to have to have a lot fewer people in there. And, you know, so you're, you're going to have to rotate through. So that, I think, is going to be probably the toughest part of all. And for that, I, unless the Chiefs are building a temporary weight room over in Arrowhead, are they going to go back over to the facility for that? We don't know. Yeah, I mean, you could even build a temporary there, split the offense and defense, one in the, in the actual facility. There's a lot of cleaning that has to go on that way in between every group. Yep. Every group's going to have to be cut down smaller. It's I can only imagine what Barry Rubin and his staff are going through trying to figure all that out. That definitely, especially, I think Andy said it was going to be uh, a 10-day minimum strength conditioning phase before a couple of days off, he mentioned, and then... The NFLPA has said 14-day phase, so I, I don't know exactly how many workouts that's going to entail, but it's going to be something over and over that that's going to be the focus, right? Yeah, I mean, increasingly, it's looking like you're probably not going to see players actually on the field in any type of 7-on-7, seven 11-11, seven, whatever it may be, until at least mid-August. I mean, you know, right now I'm in and for everything you can when you see these dates, you can probably move the Chiefs up three days, because if they say August 15th for the NFL, it's probably going to mean August 12th for the Chiefs and the Texans. So, you know, there will be some changes there. But, yeah, they're still, you know, debating about how long the acclimation period will be. I'm guessing it'll. Yeah, it'll probably be closer to the 14 than the than the 21 days that the the players have been looking for mm-hmm. and then the ramp up period, you know, I, I seeing a report even as late as today that, you know, that, that you may not see players in full pads until late August and maybe within two weeks of the beginning of the season. And ooh, that seems to me pretty scary, <laughs> but you know what? I mean, at the same time, you don't want to rush these guys into things too. Yeah. And I'm sure for some, they're rejoicing. I mean, this gives Damian Williams a chance to start <laughs> week one. So uh, avoid those injuries at all costs. But that that takes me down the road of, like you said, those extra three days because of that game. Uh, another advantage that they had is they seem to have all their rookie class ready to go. That was news to us the other day as well. Uh, how much did that surprise you that they had verbally agreed with everyone and that the trickle has begun, I understand. And, and do you think that, that gives them, a, yet again, another advantage? Uh, probably very, very small. I, I mean, to me, it's it's not a huge surprise because there's just so little negotiation that rookies have and any leverage. I mean, it, it's really small tic-tac things that, you know, agents are looking for. And once again, I mean, it gets more complicated the higher up you are in the first round. So just having a guy at 32 makes it a lot easier. Um, but with everything slotted now, I mean, it's there's really small details that have to get worked out. So you just don't see the holdouts that you used to. And even now, you know, players can report without a contract. Um, I would expect that, I mean, it's going to be very, very few players around the league probably who don't. I would expect everybody pretty much to be signed by the time. Maybe they'll be a little bit different this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that the Chiefs have everybody signed. Uh, it's, 
kind of surprised that maybe a few of them didn't trickle in already, but I think that probably owes once again to, you know, this uh, kind of offseason has been since the players have not been in Kansas City where they would be for offseason workouts for OTAs. And this is really, you know, their only time to start coming in and trickling in and do things in person. And the first guys that came in had their first test, and so we should be expecting on Thursday to see their second round of tests. Uh, does that mean Friday's the earliest we're going to get the confirmation of double negatives? That's my impression. I mean, we'll see. Um, yeah, the testing is still kind of up in the air, um, what exactly is happening. I mean, they've got kind of a temporary agreement on that. So, And what kind of transparency we're going to get mm-hmm. is completely up in the air because – as of just a couple of days ago, you know, the there wasn't any clarity from the Chiefs or the NFL on how they were going to report results, if they were going to report results. Right. Um, and 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 how granular they were going to be. We might get information on just how many positives there were, but that doesn't mean that we're gonna find out who. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Major League Baseball, and you've seen with the Royals, they've been pretty transparent with their process. Um, no indication yet the NFL is going to do that. And even when you even look at the NFLPA on Tuesday, they first reported they had 95 positives in the league. Then they changed it to 59 and then they took it off the website. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So we don't know what they're going to report, you know, how, how informative it's going to be. And yeah. And we don't, we don't know how quickly they're going to get the results either. That's the interesting part to me. And it, it seems to me that, I, I'm glad that they implemented the, the contact tracing because I think that will actually help them control the spread if and when somebody um, when somebody gets uh, this virus. Um, but that seems to me that's when we're going to hear about something because they're going to want to alert people who may have come into contact. So it, it's a long road, but I feel like uh, the agreement right now stands pretty solidly. I think the team's in pretty good shape. When you look beyond that, if everything falls into place and, and they're able to practice and everything, um, just the lack of OTAs leading up to this is all going to be very, like you said, finite. And we won't know until we know with very limited coverage for you media guys that are, are going to be close and actually let us know what goes on. Is your gut feeling right now that because of all that, that this is still looking likely for the, the scheduled start date for game one? Or is your gut telling you it's going to get moved back? I mean, I I still get the impression that the, the league and, and the players still want to start week one on time. If at all possible, even if that does mean that maybe certain parts of training camp are compressed and maybe they haven't been able to get, you know, full padded practices in, because I think there's the concern that, you know, what they're going to have a concern with is the end of the, is, is the end of the season, mm-hmm. that the best time for them is going to be early on. And, you know, if there is a you know serious second wave this winter, that's when they may get more challenged. So I think they're definitely worried about the season dragging on and adding any anything to the end of it. So I think that they're definitely more concerned about getting the season started and then seeing what happens. I mean, are we to a point now where I, you know, you can say, you know, definitively there's going to be a 16 game season. No, I mean, it could certainly be a 12 game season. I mean, things could happen. So, but I, I, I get the impression from all sides that there's a much more concentrated effort to make sure that they start on time because they're not sure they can end on time. Let's hope. I appreciate your insight, and we'll just check in with you for all the updates when something does happen. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ryan. And thanks to rockauto.com for sponsoring the show. Thank you for listening. We'll have more tomorrow on when the Chiefs get some of their testing results back and where they go from there. Thanks for listening today, and we'll talk to you then. 
Ryan Tracy is the founder of Rogue Analytics and the host of RGR Football on YouTube. Follow him there. Chris Clark is a senior analyst at ChiefsDigest.com where you can get his work. Rate and review at Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.